Do you ever wonder what would happen if, well, if... If you give a dad a podcast. I'm what you call a nerdy fan. I nerd out at this stuff. Hardcore. You'll hear me talk about anime on here. You'll hear me talk about Power Rangers. You'll hear me talk about wrestling on here. Okay. Had a axe handle with a twisted T on it. It's <laughs> right after that twisted T video went viral. And man, they went out and grabbed it and smacked you in the head with it. It was so... That's great. I'd like to think of this podcast as a nostalgia moment for me. It's a show where I can talk about whatever I want. I'm a, I'm a human animal chiropractor. There was a picture of me. It looked like I was on the side of a ramen box over in China. But... So I took my kids with me to Comic-Con. I thought that was really cool. Well, I don't know if my wife should listen to this podcast. We'll cut that part out. <laughs> you know, you hope. Like, and then Robert said this. <laughs> if you give a dad a podcast, available now on all podcasting platforms. Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the Talk of Wrestling podcast. If you're watching or listening to this, I know that you enjoy wrestling podcasts. We have a great show, and it drops almost every week with a new guest. We've had superstars such as Ken Patera, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel. We've had promoters on, such as Dan Geyer and Jerry Bostic. We've had referees on, like Dave Dwinell. And others, folks, we, if, you want to, if you want to subscribe to our podcast, please do so. We are over at 300 subscribers right now. If we hit 1,000 subscribers, we can monetize our podcast on YouTube and be able to get on guests that require financial compensation. Now, if you want to provide support to our podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. One is by going to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dash Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N, and the number three. From there, you hit the support button, and you can make a donation from there. You can also go to our Teespring store, where we also have products such as this t-shirt, which is nice and comfortable and durable. We have hoodies, glassware, and other great products. We also have a PayPal account, and the sign for that is at Bumps and Thumps. Please, if you can, folks, subscribe. Watch our show. You're going to love it. I'm telling you. We have great guests on here. They have great stories. And they're all mostly old school and, and promoters, referees, fans, and many others. So please, subscribe today. Check it out. If you enjoy it, subscribe. And so we can get to that thousand. And you're going to enjoy the podcast. I guarantee it. So thank you for your support. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm Brian Ferguson. My guest today is known as the voice of Minnesota wrestling and has been in broadcasting since 1985. He is also the co-host of the podcast called AWA Unleashed with Chris Tubbs. Ladies and gentlemen, my honor and privilege to introduce the great Mick Karch. Mick, thanks for getting on here. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it, too, and that I was wondering who you were talking about there with that uh, that glorious introduction. 
great and all that stuff. I, you know, I yeah, figured, it's, I figured Marty O'Neill had been resurrected or something. But well, no, you know, I've I've had your your very good friend George Shire on here a few times, and he thinks yeah. and he talks very highly of you. And you know, full disclosure, we've tried to get you on here a few times, but we've had some scheduling conflicts and things like that. But that's okay. It's a finally here, and we're finally on. Looking so forward. I want to. Yeah, I want to play something from you from back in the day that uh, I think you will appreciate. Hmm. And uh, we're going to play it for you right here really quick. Here we go. Oh, God. Fans, this is Mick Karch. Another exciting hour of championship wrestling brought to you by West 4 Wrestling Promotions and the National Wrestling Alliance. Let's go right to ringside right now. There he is. Who in the heck was that guy? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I do remember you in the AWA, but when I heard your name, when George was talking about you before, I was like, I know that name. And I saw your face like you are now. And I'm like, I don't remember him. So I had to go back. You had the mustache. You had the glasses. And that's what threw me. I was like, he had a mu- I couldn't, I didn't recognize you. But now that I see you, it, it fits the voice, you know. But I was just, I, I couldn't, it took me a while. But that was, that was literally half of my life ago. I had that 1970s porn star mustache <laughs> on. And uh, that was, uh, I was in Winnipeg, Canada. Okay. Uh, George Shire and I were up there doing a uh, TV for an offshoot of the NWA West four wrestling okay. with uh, motor Tony Condello. So uh, yeah, that was before everything started to really, uh, you know, get going for me. So that was, uh, that was the initial foray into the uh, announcing business. That's awesome. That's great. I, uh, I saw that and I said, I got to play this cause that'll bring back oh, some memories man. for them. How humiliating is that? Anyway, <laughs> Well, let's get started here. Let's talk about growing up. Uh, where, where are you from? I know Minnesota, obviously, but I mean, talk about your childhood a little bit. I'm going to throw up a couple pictures while we're talking about it here. Okay. Let's kind of talk that. about your childhood a little bit, if you would, for us, and kind of tell us tell us uh, a little bit about it. There he is. There he is. Oh, look at him. Look at that innocent kid. Look at him. You know, they always say if you could talk to your younger self, you know, what would you say? And I would say, <laughs> stay away from the business. But uh, uh, that God, I don't know how old I was there, seven, eight years old. I don't know. Um, I was born and raised in Minneapolis. Okay. Uh, lived on the north side of, of Minneapolis for a long time. And then when I started high school, I moved to a suburb, St. Louis Park, and then attended the University of Minnesota. Uh, as far as the growing up years, Brian, uh, you know, nothing, kind of a nondescript, you know, just uh, just your average uh, average kid and uh, one that unfortunately or fortunately fell in love with pro wrestling at the age of nine. So shortly after that picture was taken yeah. was the downward spiral. <laughs> I'm sure your parents were kind of like mine. Uh, thought I was just a little phase in your life. Uh, exactly. When you were a little kid, you'll grow out of it. Uh, well, obviously, you know, my, obviously we my did friend, not. 
Yeah, my great my grandfather was a huge wrestling fan, and he was an old school guy that knew what he knew, but you know, it was like pulling teeth to get him to admit anything. Uh, my parents, on the other hand, my my dad would take me to wrestling shows when I was a kid, just to be nice. He really, you know, he couldn't care less one way or another. And my and my mom, God rest her soul, would shake her head every time I turned wrestling on the television. So um, they they were kind of amused by it, yeah. but uh, that that's where it, where it all started. I I started watching wrestling literally when I was nine years old. And that was a long time ago and haven't stopped watching since. Yeah. I, my grandfather, uh, same thing. He was a wrestling fan. Uh, he passed when I was pretty young, but uh, I continued to tradition with my grandma. My parents, I think they finally accepted it when I was probably about 15. I was, cause I kept going to these house shows and, uh, and they finally like, okay, you know, and again, they thought it would pass, but obviously if you look at the background if you're watching this i have not so okay yeah so let's talk about a little bit you and your bockwinkle fattish there he is the man oh favorite photos of him back in the day um you're a big nick what you started the Bachwinkle Brigade. Tell us a little bit about that, getting into that. Well, you know, um, I had run fan clubs before when I was a kid. I published some newsletters when I was a teenager and, and kind of let it drop because I saw there was no money in it, which really should have been a clue for the rest of my <laughs> wrestling career. But uh, I didn't get the hint back then. Uh, in 1970, the fall of 1970, uh, Nick came to the AWA area, and I was just enthralled with the guy. You know, I mean, this—he was—he uh, was a different personality. He was uh, an arrogant, cocky heel. We hadn't seen his like before. You know, normally the heels of the day were Mad Dog Vashon screaming and spitting and, and what have you, and Larry Hennig and what have and what have you. But Nick was different. And uh, I, I really, simultaneously with getting into the, the Bockwinkle situation, I got the fan club bug again. Mm-hmm. Before I actually talked to Nick, I approached Bobby Heenan at the Dykeman Hotel in downtown Minneapolis. I mean, you know, I want to start a fan club, and here's Bobby Heenan. I think I'll go ask him. Yeah. Well, Bobby was none too pleased, uh, to say the least. <laughs> Uh, he was checking into the hotel or something, and uh, here's this punk kid coming up and asking him for a uh, fan club, and Bobby said, get away from me, get the hell out of here, whatever he said. So uh, taking that off the table, in 1971, this is kind of an interesting story. This was back in the day before you could hold up banners and signs at wrestling events, before they encouraged it. Uh, a group of us were Bachwinkle supporters, and we had a sign held up at the Minneapolis Auditorium during one of Nick's matches. And we're in the balcony. We're hanging it over the edge. We're not in anybody's way or anything. And something to the effect of Nick is number one, Nick's our man, whatever it was. And somebody complained to the usher. So the usher came and took our sign down. And, you know, mind you, can you imagine that? You know, in this day and age, well, all you see is a sea of of signs and posters. Yeah. Uh, so the next week I go to the TV studio and I'm kind of 
mustering up the courage to talk to Bockwinkle. The end of the night, uh, he's leaving the, the arena, and I said, uh, Nick, just want to tell you a little story about what happened last week at the auditorium. They tore our tore our sign from our hands, and we were supporting you. And you know, Nick, of course, is ah uh, ha ha ha. You know, he, you know, in, in typical Bachwinkle fashion. Yeah. One thing led to another, and that very same night, I had Nick sign a permission slip to start the Bachwinkle Brigade. One of the co-signers on the permission slip, which you had to have, incidentally, if you wanted to get plugged in a fan club column in okay. magazines. They have that written permission slip. Okay. Uh, another guy that was on that slip was Paul Persman, uh, a.k.a. Playboy Buddy Rose. Yes. Uh, he was also a Bachwinkle fan. So, you know, historically speaking, you had myself and you had uh, Buddy Rose as the two guys that Nick gave permission to to start the fan club. So that's it's a long time ago. And effectively, uh, I ran the club until Nick left the AWA, which is in 1987. Wow, that long. That's amazing. Yeah. There's a picture of you two back in the day. Where is that uh, taken from? This is going back to, I'm going to guess, early 1980s. Okay. And that would be a show at the at the St. Paul Auditorium, maybe late 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and Nick and I had a just a, a relationship, as you can kind of tell, Mm -hmm. uh, was very unique. Uh, <laughs> I, I, kinda, I think I became kind of an annoying son to Nick over the years. Uh, we, we had a wonderful relationship. You know, one minute he's shaking my hand, the next minute he's slapping me across the face, and he's putting me in a, in a top wrist lock or what have yeah. you. But uh, Nick was so cooperative with us, Brian, over the years. You know, when, he, when we first started, Nick said at the time, if I don't have to participate in any way in this fan club, you've got my permission to go ahead and run it. Well, for the next 16 years, uh, he wrote newsletters or uh, uh, columns for newsletters in the bulletin. He would meet with us every year for uh, wrestling Bachwinkle conventions, stayed in touch on the telephone constantly, and uh, it was just a wonderful relationship. That's, that's wonderful. That. I'm going to tell you, honestly, when I was a kid, I could not stand that guy. He played his part so well. I thought he was the biggest cheater, uh, crappy person. Uh, he he pulled it off beautifully. And, and I'll admit, not until late, years later, I realized, you know, what kayfabe was and, and how really they are in real life outside of the ring, outside of the persona. When they're not around a bunch of people, they're really nice people for the most part so well they I are yeah i have a lot of respect for nick i've heard nothing but awesome and great things about him from wrestlers uh, in that era that wrestled him that, that everything you know on tv they were biggest rivals in the world like jim brunzel and greg Gagne and those guys but outside you know, they said he was a consummate professional and just a great mentor so that's that's my take on him, and that was that was great. I was talking to Joyce a couple of weeks back, uh, and she was part of that Bachwinkle Brigade. She was telling me a little bit about how it took her a little while to get in there because, uh, you know, he he wasn't sure. You know, you had to build that trust. Right, exactly. Yeah, to build yeah. that trust. So uh, that was interesting conversation as well. Let's talk about you getting into the business, about your announcing. How did that? How did that happen? Well, you know, the, the term overnight sensation uh, does not apply to me. 
Not really was it not sensation, but it certainly wasn't overnight. Uh, literally, Brian, I hung around for 20 years uh, before anything popped as far as the broadcasting was concerned. I had done a lot of print media, uh, you know, the newsletters, and I wrote uh, articles for magazines and a local tabloid. I hand-delivered publicity uh, for the Minneapolis promoter, Wally Carbo. I would carry it six blocks to the, to the Star Tribune newspaper. Literally, I hung around for all those years. And from the time I was a kid, I wanted to get into wrestling broadcasting. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. Be a wrestling announcer in my own hometown. And in the mid-1980s, I got my opportunity. There was a gentleman by the name of Ray Webby, who was a, a wrestling journalist here in the Twin Cities. And Ray, of course, uh, had his contacts, one of whom was Eddie Sharkey. And they were going to be doing some television. Eddie was going to be doing some local TV and Ray said, why don't I hook you up with Eddie? He's got this Pro Wrestling America promotion. They're doing it for cable or whatever it was. And, you know, come down to call a couple of matches. Well, I did that. And then in turn, Eddie ran a show, and it was West 4. Eddie was involved in that Winnipeg promotion. Okay. And uh, took George and I way up north. And we did the broadcasting for the Winnipeg TV when we got back, this is 1986, when we got back, I wanted somebody to critique our broadcast. Mm-hmm. Well, why not call Bockwinkle? You know, he's uh, he's living in town here. Maybe we can have him take a look at this and, and uh, see what he thinks. And George Shire had him come over to his house. And Nick and I and George are watching us call this uh, Winnipeg stuff, which, my God, I, I look back on some of that uh, – some of those matches, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I survived, let alone put some of it over. And as a matter of fact, you know, Nick said to George and I, if you can get this shit over, you can get anything over. And uh, so that was about as complimentary as we were going to get. And turns out, a little bit later on, uh, going into the summer of 1987, lo and behold, I get a phone call at my full-time job from Greg Ganya, and Greg says, you know, I got to talk to Nick a little bit, and how would you like to come out to Vegas and do some ring announcing for us uh, starting, you know, next month or whatever? And, you know, basically it was, how soon can I leave? You know, get, get yeah. me to the airport, you know, I'm there. So Nick played a hand in that, and that was the beginning of the broadcasting yeah. Uh, you know, at, at least on a national level. Right. Okay. So you did the AWA uh, for a few years, and, and unfortunately it had to close its doors in 91. And um, then I, you did some other projects. Talk about, uh, if you can, some of those experiences. What was probably your most memorable time broadcasting and besides the AWA, was there another promotion that really just kicked it for you nailed it? You know, you were really enjoying it and having a good time. The promotions themselves doing TV. I, I did so many, you yeah. know, not only on the independent scene, but uh, you know, with Windy City Wrestling and the IWA, which was based in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Russon. Uh, of course there was the, uh, the Warriors of Wrestling, the AWF, 
<laughs> their uh, their highly successful round system. Uh, so you know, and and I mean, literally dozens and dozens of promotions. Some of them, I I you know look back and I think, what was I thinking? Uh, the others are stellar, and they always treated me well. I felt that I had a great relationship and rapport, not only with the promoters but the wrestlers. Uh, didn't make any waves, went in there and did my job. Yeah. As far as what I enjoyed the most was Saturday night at ringside. And yes. that was a, that was a four-year run. And if I could do that all over again, my God, I wish I had a time machine. I would just like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good show. I remember watching it a few times. It's it's it was a good show. I, I enjoyed it. Uh Let's talk about your travel experiences. You probably traveled with some of these guys, legends. Can you tell us a story about one that really sticks out in your mind of who you travel with and what, what occurred? Well, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can't. And um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to go here, but well, yeah, why not? What the heck? It's a what podcast. The heck? It's a podcast. We do it on, on Unleashed all the time. Okay. So. In, in uh, 1970, I want to say 1972, three, four, something like that, taking a road trip, which we used to do on weekends, once a month, Milwaukee and Chicago and Green Bay would run back to back, back okay. to back to back. So Buddy Rose is driving, and uh, there were a couple of ladies in the car with us, and also Don Morocco. Ah. And uh, and oh, Don is going to kill me for this. <laughs> Don, Don was a babyface at the time, very very popular babyface. But Don also enjoyed his beer, and he he really enjoyed his beer on the way back from Green Bay one night back to Minneapolis. One after another, boom boom boom, to the point where every five miles or so, Buddy is having to pull over on the side of the road. You know, so Don could, you know, relieve himself, you know, whether it was, a, you know, an old horseshoe or, you know, a spare tire that blew on, you know, on the side of the road or a horse barn. He didn't care. So we're uh, we're coming back from Green Bay and we stopped into a gas station in Eau Claire, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Yep. And I went in and Buddy and I, you know, Buddy, we're looking around for some snacks or what have you. And all of a sudden the proprietor says, hey. Who's that big goof outside? And, you know, I'm looking, well, it's not me and it's not Buddy because we're standing right there. And I said, took a look. I said, oh, it's, it's Don Morocco. Well, who's he? I said, he's a, he's a professional wrestler. He says, I don't care if he's a wrestler or if he's president of the United States. I don't appreciate the guy taking a leak on my gas pumps. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> so, <laughs> we, oh, I'm sure enough. Uh, you know, I don't know if he was writing cursive, or uh, or you know, giving an autograph to the <laughs> to the uh, to the unleaded pump. But there's uh, there's Mister Morocco, and uh, uh, that's one of those that uh, that has stayed with me. Yeah, all the years. Just wow. off the head. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah, okay. Let's talk about your chemistry with these guys. You know, you you did a lot of interviews with a bunch of wrestlers, heels, baby faces. Chemistry is pretty important, I would think, as part of that. Um, 
who t- one of your just an example of one of your better interviews with somebody that that really just sticks out in your mind like that chemistry was just there probably almost maybe you want to laugh and you couldn't because you're on tv or whatever you're trying to keep your composure was there somebody that just really stuck out to you really that he always or she always just was a good interview well you know it's interesting because the wrestlers were so diverse in their interview style and their personality uh, a lot of times, like if I was doing SNR, for example, and I would have somebody come into the studio, that would be the first time that I met them. Okay. So you have to establish, first of all, the trust factor. They have to know what you're all about, that you know what's going on in the business, that you're not going to cross any lines or what have you. So uh, a lot of times it's just, you know, you meet them for five minutes, you turn on the camera and you hope for the best. You hope that the, the chemistry is there. I would say over the years, aside from Nick, uh, I thought I, I loved interviewing Jim Brunzel. Uh, Jim was just a gem of a guy. Uh, Baron Von Raschke, of course. Uh, the Baron was a baby face by the time I uh, interviewed him. But Larry Hennig, Kurt Hennig, Wahoo McDaniel, Ray Stevens, uh, you know, uh, the Road Warriors. Um, it, it, it was so great on so many levels. As far as the one that I enjoyed the most, probably had me doing less talking than any of them. And that was the interview with Mad Dog Vashon. <laughs> and uh, SNR did a second anniversary special back in 1990. And we were looking for old AWA stars who might want to come in and participate in the show. Well, the producers called and got a hold of Mad Dog Vashon, who was living in Omaha at the time. And I took a fly, right? I said, he's never going to come in. My God, the man, you know, he just had a leg amputated not that long ago. There's no way the dog is going to come in, you know, yeah. to do this interview. Well, not only did he come in, I talked to him on the phone and I said, all right, Maurice, they'll take care of your, your flight, what have you. And he said, no, no, no. You know, he says, uh, he says I'll, I got somebody that can drive me. And we'll drive from Omaha. So he came in on his own dime, uh, you know, didn't ask for trans money, didn't ask for hotel money, nothing. Wow. And even though he was a baby face at the time and he had been retired for a couple of years, he was still in Mad Dog character uh, when we turned the camera on. And I, I want to tell you, Brian, I, I didn't have to do or say anything. I, I throw a question at him like about Jerry Blackwell, for example. And of course, you know, just well, you know, you go right at it, and 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 it, you know, a doggy dog world and all his cliches. And at one point, I had my notes on the podium in front of me, and he starts looking at the notes, and I'm thinking to myself, this this is not going to be good. So I'm kind of doing a take to the camera, and you know, the dog leans over, and he tears the notes up for the rest of the show and throws him on the floor. <laughs> and I said, I didn't miss a beat. I said, well, nice going, Mad Dog. That was that was a contract I was supposed to sign to renew, you know, my time here with the TV station. And if you look at that old tape, the dog goes one of these because the dog was about to start laughing. <laughs> and man, if you could crack Mad Dog Vashon up <laughs> during an interview... Uh, so yeah, the dog, I love doing interviews with him. Larry Hennig was great because he always took shots at Vern Gagne. 
Yeah. Uh, never, never ending. Um, Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy again. I had him on SNR right in the middle of the interview. He pulls out a Hershey bar and starts chopping on the Hershey bar. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, you know, I got to maintain my diet. You know, I got to stay in at 217 pounds. And, of course, he's got the chocolate dripping down his, his <laughs> as, he's, uh, as he's telling me this. So uh, there have been some characters over the years. But I've always had a rapport, never, ever tried to cross the line with any yeah. of them. And, uh, I always made sure Bruiser Brody, my first oh. major interview in Winnipeg was Bruiser Brody. And I made damn sure before we end up, we went out that I wasn't going to talk about anything he did not want to talk about. So yes. Yeah. Oh, you touched on something there when you were talking between Larry Henning and Vern, what was the heat? I mean, he worked for Vern for so many years. I, you know, I just am shocked when I hear that because he worked there so many years, but yet there's this, this bitterness. I don't know what the deal is. Can you, do you know, and can you touch on a little bit? You know, I, I know that George Shire has talked about this a lot as well. I don't quite understand. The The heat was more on Larry's end than it was on Vern's end. Now, they both went to Robbinsdale High School. Um, you know, they were a few years apart. I don't know if it was a rivalry based on who's the greatest wrestler ever to come out of Robbinsdale. I don't know. Um, I don't know if the beef was over payoffs I agree with you that Larry Vern took care of Larry for a lot of years. I mean, yeah. every once in a while, uh, you know, Larry would make a, a jaunt to some other territory, but he always came back to the state of Minnesota and yeah. the Twin Cities and the AWA yeah. tag team champion with Harley Race. Yeah. And then he, Lars Anderson. And then, of course, with Kurt and what have you. So yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was a money issue or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that towards the end, Larry felt that Vern was not treating Kurt uh, as well as he should have. But then I'm thinking to myself, well, you gave the, gave the guy the AWA Heavyweight Championship. For a year. Yeah, exactly. What more do you want? So uh, I think the animosity, again, was on Larry's end. But yeah, specifically what it was about, I, I don't know. But Larry never missed an opportunity to take a shot to take a shot at Vern at some, you know, gathering or convention or something. Yeah. So yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Okay. Well, I think if, if you don't know it, then not too many people do. So, all right. A couple more questions. Um, sure. You know, you, you did a lot uh, in the eighties, nineties, two thousands. How is your family life? I mean, that's gotta be hard. Even as a broadcaster, you know, not a wrestler per se, but being a broadcaster, you still got to make those travel arrangements. You still got to travel, make those dates. That had to be challenging when you're raising kids. Uh, well, yeah. What was that like for you? If you don't mind talking about it. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I wish I had a better outcome because, you know, the marriage, you know, went to hell in a handbasket. Um, as far as the business is concerned or the role that it played, it wasn't so much the travel to the, Outstate shows, Brian, it was the constant being busy with wrestling on a local level. Okay. So it was either SNR or just going down to the local shows or what have you. It took so much of my time. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, it's, it, I don't know how the wrestlers do it. I, I seriously don't know how they maintain a great family life, especially in the days when WWE wrestlers were on the road for 27 out of 30 days a month. I, yeah. I don't get it. Uh, yes, it, it, it was, it was very difficult. Um, I will say, and this has been kind of documented, WWF actually offered me a tryout in 1988. Okay. I got a call from Jack Lanza, and uh, you know he had seen some of the SNR stuff, and he says Vince is going to be doing TV up in Duluth. Why don't you come in for a tryout? Well, I had a newborn daughter, and oh. she was a month old. Now I've got this quandary. Do I go up to the tryout with the possibility of getting a job with WWF and moving out east to Stanford, Connecticut? I didn't know, but I made the choice to stay at home and be, you know, with the family, with my daughter. Right. And all things said and done, I would do the same thing again. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's no comparison as to what what is real and what isn't. Right. What's a fantasy world. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's uh, it, it was not easy. Let me let me say that. Yeah, well, I can say from what I've seen on on Facebook on your on your personal page, you have a very good relationship with your son and daughter. Oh, uh, boy, boy. yeah, yeah. I mean, they both got married last summer, if I'm correct. Yeah, last last fall, two weeks apart, yeah. they got married. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's it's you know that's great that that outcome with the children. Yeah, uh, it yeah, that's 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 great. So, one more question: uh, What are you doing now? Let's talk about your AWA unleashed a little bit, and any other projects you're working on. Absolutely. Well, as far as the other projects are concerned, I guess if you uh, if you consider getting up in the morning, having breakfast, and you know watching TV and going back to bed, a project I've I've aced that one. Uh, I'm doing ex- <laughs> extremely well there. Uh, still do wrestling stuff locally. Uh, I've been involved for several months now with Midwest All-Star Wrestling. I okay. uh, can't say enough good things about them. Uh, Eli and David and Brian have been fantastic. Um, the AWA Unleashed podcast has been just fantastic. And, you know, you being in the podcast business, you know how rewarding it is, you know, to get the viewer feedback and the yeah. interaction and, and so on and so forth. And uh, Chris Tubbs and I decided, more he he than me, uh, that the AWA was overlooked for way too long. You know, it's yeah. been going 30 years, which is hard to believe. Yeah, and you got all sorts of podcasts out there, NWA and WWE and Jim Cornette and what have you, but the AWA needed to be revisited. Yeah, so we do that every Tuesday. Uh, a new AWA Unleashed podcast drops. We've done I don't know several dozen at this point. Mm-hmm. Just having a really good time. Yes, it's a great podcast, folks, and I'm going to have Thanks. the link. I'm going to have the link below in the description. Uh, for their podcast. Uh, it's a great show. I've watched it uh, several times on YouTube. They always got good, uh, you know, guests. They had uh, Q and A's and it's, it's a great show. I recommend it. Uh, subscribe to it as well. So ladies and gentlemen, Mick Karch, thanks for coming on today, sir. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian, and continued success to you. You do a terrific job. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Folks, if you're watching, thank you. If you're listening, thank you. And please subscribe, and we'll talk to you soon.